everybody what's up thank you happy new year happy new year happy new year (laughs) yes we have kb with us welcome thank you guys thanks for having me on love the show yeah thanks for joining um and helping us start off the new year on a good foot it's going to be a great year, guys. You've got good feeling, good feeling about 2023, full of optimism, hope, excitement. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I remember having that exact feeling um, in, on January 1st, 2020. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Feeling good. This one's going to be V-Century. This, is gonna, this yeah. millennium is going gonna, is gonna to seal the deal. Yeah. So I never, I never I, I literally never have that feeling on New Year's though. I sort of hate New Year's. I, I try to pretend it's not here. So I always assume the year is gonna be shit and then we just we'll see what happens <laughs> as time goes on. Well, it was interesting last year though, I felt because it was like I remember and I know we're gonna discuss the article momentarily, right? But like I <laughs> and I write about it in it, but like I remember entering last winter and just thinking like, oh my god, we're all gonna be in internment camps or shop full of vaccines <laughs> and uh and then by the time we reached we got through christmas and we reached new year we entered vi- uh, last year we entered 2022 in this completely di- i entered it in a completely different frame of mind it was suddenly like oh, we got a bit of wind in our sails that was probably like this century anyway like the most optimistic new year's day i'd had i thought okay things are not looking as bad you know which in a way so, they're not so was that with the beginning of the truckers in ottawa well they i mean they came in um in like January of a 20 something. I mean, okay. in fact that we were, I was out for my um, wife's birthday and uh, got back, uh, taken a few too much, uh, too few too many mushrooms and um, couldn't <laughs> sleep and uh, watched them on my phone as they all rolled into Ottawa. And it was uh, one of the best, uh, best nights in I've ever had, you know, but um, that was a little later, but even going into the new year, there was a sense that things were changing, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. Um... Because for me, I, I was a little late to the game with with COVID, and we can all we can. I, I have some questions for you, KB, about your whole experience of it, um, even beyond what you write about in the article. But so, like for me, I was kind of just waking up around that time. Uh, I mean, a few it had been a few, maybe like in August of 2021, I started to get it. Um, and so I had no, I was like deep in the, in the black pill and just wasn't sure what was happening. So I didn't really feel any relief until in the, in the States, like we had around February, it seemed like there was this order that went out to all the Democrat controlled cities in the States. And we're like, all right, mask mandates are over. Vax pass is over back to normal. All of a yeah, and just, I mean, to, we've talked about it, A, on the pod before, but we we both live in heavily large Democrat-controlled cities. So we experienced uh, that version of the pandemic, not, honestly, not the part, not the version of the pandemic, I would say, of the majority of the U.S. experienced, so. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's like, um, yeah, I have friends, like, 
Billy on the other pod, um, um, who uh, live in red states, and it's almost like they didn't go through COVID. But in in Europe, Europe was like one big blue state, you know, like uh, almost every country in Europe, and and in many it was uh, in many it was worse. So you know, in, in Spain, um, had a family in Spain, and they weren't allowed out of the house you know, for like three months, they would, you, you would have to get little bits of paper to go do your shopping with, you know, it, it was, it was absurd. You couldn't go for a jog. They have police walking around with guns, you know, and um, there was a spectrum in Europe, but um, the spectrum was pretty narrow. You know, I guess, I guess Sweden famously is, uh, did its own thing. Um, otherwise it was all pretty draconian. It was all pretty blue state. Yeah. I uh, was interested when you in the article when you mentioned um, the George Floyd summer because I, you know, I guess for me it wasn't really like it was. Well, I mean, I'm sure maybe a maybe it was like this for you, but for me there was like slow cracks in the in the veneer mm-hmm. of what was going on because um, I definitely wholeheartedly was like. COVID's going to kill millions of people. We need everything that they're telling us to do. We need to do like, I, I started out like that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and kind of accepted the initial, like, uh, you know, lockdown thing. I, you know, I was lucky enough to be like able to work from home with my partner. So I experienced kind of like a fluffier version than people who, like my friends who were in healthcare and stuff who still were completely working out and all of that. Um, but the George Floyd protests here in, in New York city were like um, this huge thing and they were really actually incredibly violent. And and that, and I remember like in the sense that like, you know, I guess I mean the was, mostly peaceful protests, but they, <laughs> I guess that just wasn't the experience of them, like literally being here. That wasn't the experience of them. They were really intense. Um, and a lot of people, because I, I had, you know, I've, I've been in left wing spaces for so much of my life. Like a lot of people I know were suddenly like, you know, like we, like we have to be out there. Like if we don't go, um, out there, like, you know, where this is what we're, we're showing what we would have done during the civil rights movement. Sure. And I was like, but wait, guys, I thought there was like a deadly, <laughs> I thought, like, I, I thought there was a virus that was going to kill everyone. And it was going to especially kill black people. And like, we can't, we can't be doing this, you know? And I, and then I was like, wait, there's something wrong. There's really like a disconnect here between like these two narratives they were trying to um, shove out there. And then they had all the doctors come on TV and say that racism was worse for health than the, than, than the virus. Yeah. And I remember that was one of my first, like, okay, something is wrong. Like something is not. Uh, well, the, whole, the way that whole thing went down was just so weird because obviously at first, the the natural like people had there were some people who were out protesting the lockdowns and everything early on like in march and april and then that was supposed to be bad those were all like super spreader events Mm. but then then it was like okay to protest the george floyd stuff that wasn't an issue with super spreading but then on top of that they have this thing where they and the media in unison is insisting that these are mostly peaceful protests while actively showing you like pictures of flaming buildings in the background and people like rioting and smashing windows 
it was I mean, really they weren't, weird. It's they weren't peaceful at all. And like the people who I was working, um, I guess this will probably not dox me. I was working at a school in uptown um, Manhattan, which is like the part of Manhattan that's not like the nice, I guess, quote unquote, the nice part. Um, and it was, you know, that experience was miserable for the people actually in those neighborhoods, you know, well, because well. they're, you know, they're trying just to like live like pretty normal lives and like raise their kids and stuff. And then it's like all night for like weeks. It's like, there's just this horrible, um, yeah. I mean, just ima- you guys are both parents. Like just imagine going through that, something like that, like where like your street is just like that for like Terrific. two weeks. It was yeah. awful for them. Yeah. Um, so, and it was so weird because I would like talk to my like kind of, you know, like liberal white friends and I would say like, you know, these are not, these are like riots and they would be like, oh, you're, you know, riots are the voice of the oppressed. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. but like, I work with who you think is the quote unquote oppressed and they are exhausted by this shit, (laughs) you know, like, It's like, who is really, I don't know. Anyway, so it was interesting. I I, I guess I'd love to hear from you, KB, because I, I understood there was a global element, but. Yeah, well, so we, we've we've alluded to this um, article um, a few times, but um, KB, why don't you go ahead and, and tell us a little bit about your article that um, I guess is about to be published yeah, it is. It should be out uh, by the time this comes out. Hopefully, we'll be off Guardian. Um, it's actually the third in the series, but it's also like the culmination. The first two were just sort of individual stories that kind of fell off the bigger picture because it's getting a bit too long and unwieldy. But this last one is an overview or a portrait of the British resistance to the new normal. Um, so I got sort of. I mean, in terms of um being awake and all that. I was, um, I'm a long time crank, you know? So, uh, if it, if it was on the TV, you know, I probably thought it was bullshit. Um, since about, I don't know, 2005 or something, (laughs) it's kind of a, I'm an old hand, you know? So what, uh, what was it in 2005? Oh, it's 2005. I went to weird green, like a green hippie festival with my family. Like my mother got tickets for like (laughs) all of my siblings me and my girlfriend and we all went along to this uh like five day festival and there was a uh, there was a 9-11 truth tent and uh and i walked past it and i had the standard response of like what a what a crock of shit lol look at these guys and uh and i wandered in and i wandered out 35 minutes later scratching my head and being like oh dear i think my worldview needs adjusting and um and uh, that's from, awesome that's hilarious i know yeah from there i was just like i was, I was just uh, i've just been a, a crank ever since I think. so what was it about what I, i'm just always curious about this stuff and actually one of our other guests pool house had a similar experience where it was like post 9 11 that kind of um woke him up but like what was it about w- what they said in the tent or whatever mm. like any particular detail God, building seven or but yeah. it's going back a while. We I mean, have to, we got to be careful because we're getting so close to using woke in a completely new way. I, I agree with you. I actually, actually hate, I actually hate the term awake. So I should, uh, I should slap my own wrists for, for, for bringing like, it up. 
we're like inches from that. But yeah, well, I have to say too, I I recently saw one of my like super lib friends use the word based on oh, yeah, social yeah, media. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's I, based. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's done. I, that's over. Twenty twenty. Uh, it, it's a rel- based is a more relative term, isn't it? It means in in, uh-huh. in, in my own view, this is uh, coherent and uh, uh-huh. and uh, piercing, I suppose. But uh, um, okay. With a and with a with a wake, what I what I really hate about it is it is it implies that uh, you've you've reached a kind of point of absolute lucidity about the world, you know, and I just think that's just such a dumb frame of mind to to think you're in, you know. If you if just if you if you if you peel back one layer of illusion, you know, you have no 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 idea how many others there might be, and that's why I find that a bit of, and that's why a lot of people who are proudly self proclaimed awake often believe or ascribe to or propagandize such complete bullshit you know mm-hmm. or, or you know even who knows what is and isn't bullshit but they they do tend to people who who think of themselves in those terms do often lack kind of um critical thinking abilities about stuff which is outside of the mainstream i i, I do think but um I, so uh, in terms of uh, what what kind of made me skeptical of 9-11 in, in that tent on that day i couldn't even <laughs> remember to be honest it was probably like a load of information I'm, I'm sure building seven was mentioned but i think my overall impression was like this spectacle that i remember so vividly living through on the day on the tv right seeing it live come in interrupting my stoner daytime tv diet um <laughs> It was between um, the Australian soap neighbors and uh, Diagnosis Murder, if you remember that show. <laughs> it just had a little news report, and in it came. And um, I saw the second, second tower hit live and all that. And, uh, and it just, it, I just thought, oh, God, this spectacle of that day just makes, it makes so much less sense as this kind of higgledy-piggledy, rando terrorist operation than this kind of um, uh, coherent, um confabulation do you know what i mean like this kind of um like a like a like a huge special effect that is um but w- it is kind of miraculous if you view it as a kind of um as a mundane event you know um oh, sure. and all of the all of the elements of it obviously support that but i think in general it was just a sense of the the, the perception was much more convincing made much more sense even when you saw it from the um the almost um, like a supernatural perspective, you know, what, yeah. what was that, you know, um, to, 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 when, when you see it without that question mark, you're not, you're not seeing it accurately. You know, that was almost, that's what I remember. Yeah, it was from very that. spectacular in yeah, the literal sense. Spectacular, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it was yeah. quite a spectacle. <laughs> quite the spectacle. Yeah, quite. So, um, so when, when, when COVID rolled along, I was like, um, you know, I I I think uh, like a lot of people who followed alternative media and who are awake, um, you know, there was uh, we they tended to be um, in January aware of um, the virus, slightly more alarmed by it than they were alarmed by more alarmed by it than other people were, you know, because it wasn't on the mainstream news yet with the same kind of gravitas and urgency. Seeing photos come out of Wuhan, so you know, me and my wife did our uh, toilet roll shopping in like uh <laughs> january or february you know it was it was uh we were super early to raid those shelves and and but we we're also aware of the um of the, the wuhan co- connections the virology lab you know all of this kind of information that has you know quickly become quite ubiquitous we were um we were hip to then 
Um, and then what was interesting for me was we, we, we roll into the pandemic. You, you, you have no choice but to go with the flow in terms of being locked down and being kind of caught up in that sense of, a, of an unfurling movie. And, um, and then I, I kind of just did what I did prior to COVID when anything weird would happen um, on the news or uh, around the world. I would research it a bit. I would write, try and write about it a bit. I would... Um, Go, you know go on twitter or whatever you know and i would just kind of consume it and i didn't kind of get involved in what was becoming a really really um interesting and very proactive grassroots national resistance to this movement and i think part of the reason i didn't do it is because i was um in the habit of there not being um of just consuming this kind of information of, of, of there was never a movement attached to my worldview you know approximately mm -hmm. or otherwise you know and it got to the point where i was seeing i would see demonstrations on the tv um you know these big big marches and i i, I would see them on the twitter or whatever i don't watch tv but and uh, and i would think oh they're going on a demonstration you know in the city i live in and it wouldn't even it sounds funny to say and it sort of struck me at some point how funny it was it wouldn't even occur to me to join them, you know, <laughs> to, to get involved and to do something. And the year goes, uh, you know, the, the, the two years drag on and we're, we're getting more and more freaked out by, um, by the mandates like any unvaccinated family would be and what they might mean for being able to, to make a living or leave your house or kids go to school. And, you know, and they, they were getting closer and closer and we were feeling like middle of um, 21, more and more paranoid, more and more shaken up and more and more darked out and I'd add isolated, right? Because like most of us, you know, social circles were all lib, you know, left wing and, and, you know, they didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to talk about the mandates. They didn't want to hear your, your views on anything. You didn't want to talk to them about it. And there's this sense of sort of encroaching paranoia and isolation, which I think was, uh, you know, felt by a lot of people in the world. Right. And then um, I, I became like, um, like adamant, I was going to find some, make some IRL friends who 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 had the same perspective. I was, you know, and it was it was it wasn't actually like anything other than to to break the sense of isolation and to just find a bit of solidarity. And uh, so I looked into a few ways of doing it. You know, I followed a few leads, if you will, of what 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 was available. And I heard about something called um, Third Wednesday, which I mentioned in in this in this article. And Third Wednesday is on the third Wednesday of every month uh, in the UK, across the UK. It's in over 40 towns, cities, and villages. And uh, you just nominate if you want to put one on in your town or whatever. You just nominate a pub uh, mm. for that date. And they publicize it on this guy, uh, Dick Dellingpole's Twitter account. He has a large, largely UK following of like based people and whatever. And you go along. And you go along and you start shaking hands and, and drinking in true English fashion. And so and, when did this start? What point? Uh, so in the this pandemic? actually it actually kicked off just prior to the pandemic as a as a sort of get together idea for um for a, a very small <laughs> political minority in England, which is English or British libertarians. <laughs> but it, it kind of it really it's it's an incongruous ideology in the UK. Honestly, it doesn't quite fit the country in some ways. Um, in the very strong, like classical liberal tendencies, right in the state, 
But like um, it got kind of quickly hijacked, if you will. I mean, it still has like a libertarian bent. I guess everybody who's resisted COVID has something of a libertarian in them would be my supposition, even if you feel left wing, you know, your mm-hmm. liberty is obviously freedom is important to you if you don't like being locked in your house and all what to do and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and um, so I went along and um, and immediately was was kind of, you know, the, the London one was was meeting people who were who'd been very, very active in in this re- in this resistance so far. And suddenly you could, you know, got access to all kinds of information from um, from like, uh, you know, how to get ivermectin if you're if you were ill, your relative was ill or how to circumvent the, the mandates as they were, you know, they were, how to how to travel internationally. That this, this was all available information. And then you were just meeting people who weren't just sitting there going, oh, this is terrible. Oh, I'm so scared. Oh, you know, am I going to be able to do this or that? And thinking about themselves, as I, as I say, uh, uh, with uh, self-criticism, I guess I was, you know, my family and myself. But we're actually like uh, resisting and uh, and being really really pragmatic really really we're really really well motivated and were you know ultimately shown to have achieved things you know over the long run so i, I kind of got a little bit more involved myself but i still i still wasn't like uh still not much of an activist i think <laughs> do you know what i mean as a as a person but, but i like that idea because it's like even like I, that that was a big thing for me that helped me get through it was when I connected with some people in my area who were like minded. I, I live in a super lib area. And so I didn't I didn't think there was anyone around me, but I did find them eventually. And it was nice to connect with them. But it was still all it was still like primarily virtual, like we'd be have like yeah. a text thread yeah. going or something. So I like this idea of like you're actually kind of resisting the change that's being pushed on everyone by like physically gathering yeah it's beautiful it it broke the isolation which you know the new normal as a kind of ideology was all about isolating everybody and if you were a dissident in the way you thought about things you were all the more isolated and yeah so it was a genius simple idea for breaking the isolation and i know that prior to my getting involved when there was like a winter lockdown 2020 they all had a christmas party do you know what I mean? Like they couldn't go to the pub anymore, but they went to one another's house, like an uh, incognito, uh, you know, uh, illegal Christmas party. Do you know what I mean? Just little <laughs> things like that. It just, uh, I think, uh, gave people a lot of, um, and, you know, I, you made friends there, made creative, uh, met people I've creatively collaborated with since. And then I just wanted to like, I just thought this is a, I was just kind of proud of my countrymen for having pulled together this great resistance. And when you saw in, um, January of uh, last year, 2022, um, the, the UK was the first of all the like solid lockdown COVID mandate regimes to basically rescind its restrictions. And my hypothesis for the article was that this was at least partly because the reason the government moved here quite tentatively, quite ambivalently, quite hesitantly to impose things like they're, 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 a lot of it is very recognizable in the UK in terms of the lockdowns, the mandates and things, but they were always dragging their feet. And you, you know, it's a fair supposition that this is because they saw how much resistance there was and how much organized resistance, you know, like um, proper, <coughs> excuse me, proper, um, uh, proper activist organizations, you know, like it, they, the English, I think, do love to organize. You know, it's an old democracy here. They have a, there's a strong sense of like um, civil entitlement, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in people here and of like uh, of, of 
a lot of people have a sense of no we we have a stake in the state do you know what i mean and i think that's less the case in europe where a lot of the democracies are newer you know and the state is uh, and the state is a, a much more alien and other thing here there's a stronger sense of participation and entitlement so i wanted to just like um do a portrait of of that um of that movement and and, and flesh out some of those themes and um, so the, the piece talks to various figures that I was able to talk to and meet who, who did things I thought were significant or, or who embodied like significant attitudes and outlooks regarding it, you know? Yeah. So were these these meetings at the pub, did you have, was there ever issues with getting um, places to host it? that like i don't know if there was like lockdowns during that time or so the lockdowns were like on and off and i guess we I, there were i don't unless uh you know but i there's actually the proper lockdowns by the time i started going to the meetings were over mm -hmm. um they kind of threatened them again late last year but then omicron kind of ruined it for them effectively <laughs> right but like did you, um, did you still have to like wear the mask until you got to the seat in the pub <laughs> it's a good question do you know what I, I i'm a bit i'm a bit confused actually as to what mask mandates were in the uk um i i i just never wore a mask i mean so the english are very <laughs> non-confrontational like uh which which means you can fuck with them do you know what i mean like um so i remember you were you you supposed to always wear a mask for instance going to the supermarket and I would uh, have a scarf and I would just tug it over my nose to go past security or whoever was at the door and then tug it down again. And um, I had like one person in many, many months. So you're not wearing a face covering, you know, and it's just because the English hate confrontation so much. So you just, I just walk around like whistling quite often. And if anybody gave me a really horrible look, I give them a little wink. Do you know what I mean? And um, so these meetings, they were never, never a mask in sight. Um, in terms of like who hosted them, they just find uh, they try and find a friendly boozer, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. with a with a sympathetic landlord just just for the sake of it, just so there was a. But sometimes I, I do remember the, the, it is an eccentric group, right? Because you 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 pull together such a heterodox number of awake people, and uh, and you know sometimes you'll have like uh, get them liquored staff, up, bar staff looking like <laughs> what the fuck is this? Do you know what I mean? Tuning into the conversations, you know. Uh -huh. but, uh, it was, they're, they're good nights and they're still going today you know and a that's good institution cool. yeah that's great i mean when i read that i wished i wished that i had you know found uh something similar but it was you know it was weird because i feel like uh in new york it was i almost would have had to have left my entire um <laughs> friend group or lied about yeah. what i doing yeah. because there was this other method of control which was like other people wouldn't hang out with you if yeah, they knew if sure. they knew if they knew that you were um you know weren't uh doing um like certain things and i have you know i have like the hyper vigilance of someone who went to catholic school which i did mm -hmm. um, and so i'm always like well, I have to, you know, I have to meet them at where, at where they're at. I have to be kind and <laughs> compassionate uh, to how they're feeling. And so um, I always felt the, the need to be like overly honest with people about my activities. So it's, it's interesting. To, I mean, I, I, yeah, I wish I had found, sought, sought that out earlier than I did, you know, people yeah. who were minded. And now it's like no one, um, even all those people who used to kind of interrogate you before you hung out about like, quote unquote, 
you know, what you had been doing. Now it's like none of none of them are doing that anymore. And it's it seems to me, and maybe a maybe you feel differently, but it seems to me that like this group of like kind of like disability grifters online <laughs> are sort of like the last bastion of like um whatever that like covid cult fe- feeling was like covidians yeah, yeah. i yeah. mean I, and everyone else i know has essentially like moved on whether yeah. they what whether they verbalize that or not i mean that's just they're they're living their lives like that they're going they're internationally traveling they're hanging out indoors they're not wearing masks i mean that's just everyone there's, else there's <laughs> layers like there's those people who are libs and basically followed all the orders and now i think like the the thinking among those people is like you're pretty much good to go as long as you like get your booster or whatever, you know? But no one um, I know is actually getting the booster. Which oh, actually, I know people yeah, who got it. Yeah. I know uh, a lot of people see, who that's, got it. That's something that made me feel really ha- happy. It was when I realized yeah. how few yeah. people were actually getting it. I so. think that's one of the like achievements of uh, resistance, quote unquote, for obvious reasons worldwide mm-hmm. is like, um, is, is just creating an an environment where people were aware of how much skepticism there was about the shots. Mm-hmm. And so when they took the first couple and got fucked up and then got COVID and et cetera, et cetera. And so they, they were going to be, they were more, um, they were more resistant to, to following orders subsequently. I mean, I think one of the reasons the COVID regimes and the mandates had to collapse is because so few people got the boosters. And I think if there wasn't this kind of, background noise however kind of censored and subdued it was um of skepticism and um i i wonder if they'd have have felt so comfortable um passing on those but i I was i was going to just add that um you know you mentioned like the um the people who are holding out right still masking still getting their boosters whatever still there at this point i don't know if you've seen kb but i i follow some of these accounts just for the entertainment you share some good stuff, actually. I think I saw one. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. At this point, they're wearing like gas masks. Like, <laughs> yeah, of course. But I, like, I almost respect them more. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, at least they've got their own worldview. Like, it's the, it's the people who just went with the flow, and then they say, "Oh, the, the current thing has shifted now," and they're like, "Oh, the, you know, the current thing has shifted," and they just forget about it. I'm like, "Well, you look like the most bovine of the <laughs> lot." Do you know what I mean? If at least if you're like, no, this shit is deadly. I'm gonna live my life in a hole. You know, at least you're capable of fashioning your own opinion, or at least having some like logical consistency about how you see the world and how you behave in it. You know, they're, I know they're exactly. Mirror image, which, you know, yeah. they're our brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there, there totally is like this group of people that basically just like if there was a mask mandate tomorrow, they would put on put back on the mask and not think twice about it even though like for the past eight months or whatever they have felt no need to do it because it wasn't the law or whatever (laughs) it's so hard to know it's like i was in mexico for instance um last week and they have an indoor mask mandate and the first time someone from my partner's family handed me a mask i was like do i really have to wear it Mm. Um, and they were like, uh, someone might say something. So I tried a few times just not wearing it and no one said anything, of course. So after that, I was like, it's probably going to be okay. But, um, it was just, I was suddenly confronted for the first time in a year with like this, this dilemma of like, do I want to cause some 
<laughs> a, a minor like oh, so a minor, a minor friction with like my you know uh mm-hmm. partners like elderly parents or do i just want to like go with the flow and you know what i mean it was yeah. just and the other time it happened recently was i went to the doctor um and they asked me to put on a mask and i asked again like do i have to <laughs> and they were like um no, not, 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 not necessarily. And of course it's like the person telling you, you have to has like the loose mask, yeah. like hanging below, like hanging below their nose. Like it's like ridiculous. It's like, they're not even really wearing a mask, but it was interesting to feel that, that moment again. Um, and I'm nervous it'll, that I'll come back because there is just this social pressure of just like going with the flow that I think, um, at least I'm very, uh, attuned to <laughs> like i'm very like i i, I guess i'm a, i am i am actually kb i'm like 30 percent british i did my dna test so maybe, it I, is. Maybe, maybe i have some of that like uh don't, i don't want the i don't want to deal with any sort of confrontation you know yeah this is it and i'm uh i'm here but i uh, have no uh english dna so you know this is why i can <laughs> get in their face you know <laughs> exploit their weakness but um uh-huh. One thing I wanted to to talk about KB in relation to your article is um, something you you kind of talked about a little bit with Boris Johnson as a political figure, but like mm-hmm. in, in America, at least in the states, like I think a big part of what and it almost makes me wonder if this whole thing was planned out ahead of time. I have no idea, but was the fact that Trump was president allowed for the pandemic to unfold the way it did because Mm. he was such a divisive figure and so like the libs anything that trump said was bad they were gonna go all in on it right just no regardless of what it was like anything that he at the the beginning they acted like that about the vaccine it's worth yeah Mm -hmm. right like no one everyone was like we're not gonna take trump's vaccine who knows if it's safe or whatever totally so i just wanted to point that out at the beginning they were even like that about the vaccine and like it just to me like it seems like if somebody like hillary clinton had won the election and tried to push all the COVID measures on everybody, there just would have been, you know, so much resistance that it never could have taken off. So it it almost took Trump being like pushing back against the COVID measures to get all the libs on board with it. Yeah, it was. There's an analogy here with with with, with the UK because, you know, obviously people were quick to point out. Uh, ostensible similarities or actual ones with between uh uh boris johnson and trump they're both very blonde you know <laughs> both uh you know uh a, a very, serial, very serial very adulterers uh, you know yeah, you know and had a lot of kids yeah yeah but boris johnson can uh recite homer in the original greek which i i don't know if trump's quite quite up to that but um, you know, so he, he's it's funny. It's, it illustrates it well because he's like Johnson is is hyper establishment in a way that Trump isn't um, hyper uh, literary. Like he's quite a very cultivated guy. He uses language, I think, quite beautifully. Actually, like and that's a big part of his um, uh, kind of po- political persona. Is uh, you know he's he's um, he, he's a good talker and uh, and he's quite he's quite charming. And he also had, um, you know, he came into power. His um, his uh, his cabinet and such like was made up of these 
relatively radical conservative politicians who had basically been you've got the brexit hardcore in this country um who are like uh more like the kind of libertarian leading kind of uh leading minority and then you've got <clears throat> mainstream brexit politicians as well and he was kind of very much um the um the, the emissary of of, of mainstream pro brexit politics right and so the, the 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 cabinet he pulled together when when he did so just shortly before the pandemic he won the election um was like leftists here and lefties were like oh my god this is a libertarian kind of are they gonna you know tear apart the nhs they're gonna tear apart the state you know it's very it was a bit similar to the kind of fear around bannon and what he wanted to do with the administrative state and stuff and then when uh when, when covid kicks off johnson did this very weird like speaking tour on a couple of like daytime talk shows where he sort of muttered and mumbled about herd immunity he wouldn't say we're going to do herd immunity he just kind of mentioned it as this thing you could do have you heard of herd immunity well i'm not saying we're doing it but it's you know it kind of a lot of people think that would kind of work and that was sufficient to make everybody in the country who was certainly who was anti-conservative and who was a leftist become to see any response to covid which was a little more pragmatic a little more founded in some kind of like medical precedent of response to make them like um see that as this hyper libertarian callous uh policy direction interesting and johnson very quickly kind of uh doesn't about turn right like he his 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 government basically imposed the new normal perhaps a little more hesitantly than it might if it, if it had been a, a a standard labor government perhaps um certainly more hesitantly than uh, other countries in europe as i've said but he imposes it and he, they go full scaremonger, right? They spend hundreds of millions in terrifying everybody about COVID. They, they, they imposed lockdowns. They were itching, inching towards mandates for, for, for months and months and months. They were clearly, they, you know, they have the infrastructure to do it. They wanted to do it. Perhaps it was only this resistance, as I say, that, that stopped them doing it. And there's been a lot of speculation as to what happened between point A and point B with Boris Johnson. You know, did they show him his internet search history and say, you wouldn't want this in the tabloids pal you know there's all you know he, he's he's not a guy who's lived uh carefully and uh morally in fact there's a there's a funny <laughs> thing that on his um on his wikipedia page is that you know taylor lorenz has on a wikipedia page um age between like 15 and 55 you know it's a uh, um boris johnson has underneath it where it says kids it says like between six and 12 or something you know or, no i think it's something like at least six you know because he has so many uh so yeah. many, so many little bastards running around Chelsea. Real, he's a real G. He's a he, real. He, he's a bit of a G. This guy, yeah, yeah. And, there was, <laughs> and and a lot of people actually connected to even Third Wednesday. Um, I, I, I talked to him like my first visit, like knew him, worked with him, had kind of been involved in trying to get his, um, his, his, him as a leader of a conservative party, then been supportive of or 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 worked on the campaign to get that government elected, and they obviously you know subsequently consider that government to be satanic you know either literally or uh, or, or effectively <clears throat> and um and so it was kind of um and there was a lot of speculation around the kind of uh uh covid dissidents as to what had turned boris you know exactly into this kind of you know into almost his opposite do you know what i mean like because and one one more thing about him that, that always stood out to me was um 
he 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 used to do a, a like a stump speech if you if you invited him to you know do charity dinner or something and it was prestigious enough and he came he'd always do this funny speech he's quite funny and he would um and he would talk about his political hero as being the mayor from jaws right and, <laughs> and he'd say and why was he my political hero because he kept the beaches open and that was he'd say it to be funny but it was also an expression of what was his ostensible ideology or political brand which is like you know you take a bit of risk because life is more important than safetyism do you know what i mean that was the the, the essence of the political mm-hmm. brand that he offered people and i i always thought of it when i saw him i thought of this uh funny speech i'd heard about that he did quite often when he was imposing all of these regulations. And I thought, well, this is very much the opposite of the mayor from Jaws, you know. Uh, and um, and if, if anyone, I assume everyone knows what the mayor from Jaws did, right? He was always trying to stop the beaches being closed so that everyone could have a nice swim and maybe a few people would get eaten by a shark, you know. But like, um, but then apparently he uh, there was a leak uh, by somebody who left his cabinet and apparently he would walk around like uh you know downing street quite often and parliament quite often kind of scratching his head and muttering i should have kept the beaches open i should have kept the beaches open and there was some kind of enduring regret in him apparently about the direction he'd taken but i don't know how sincere that was or or how if that was entirely authentic but and that's what was interesting you know yeah well that was like i i wondered if maybe like having i mean this is what i'm i'm curious about because in in the states it was like i think part of what made it so difficult to form any kind of cohesive resistance to any of the covid stuff was the extremely divided political environment sure. and i think trump like it was always a thing you know democrats republicans red blue whatever everyone mm-hmm. hates each other but trump like really like yeah. solidified that and to the point where, like, it was easy to just dismiss complete. Like, there there was no dialogue between because it was either like you're a full on COVIDian who, you know, thinks you need a mask and vax and whatever, or you're like a racist redneck who like hates science and whatever. And so there was no like it was so easy yeah. to just write off the other side completely. Was the environment in in England la- like? the same degree of divisive like that or was there more mm. common ground between interesting sides? question yeah so i think i think one of the one of the things that made it more of a mixed picture is the fact that you consistently had a conservative administration imposing the new normal what it tended to mean for like what we would all recommend. can you can i stop you for a second can you just explain because uh, I'm going to be like, I, I want to make sure I understand what does conservative mean in England? Does Repu- it mean Republican? It means re- it's, it's, it's a two it's a two party system. Effectively, conservative is analogous to Republican Party, Labour to the Democrats, center right, center left. You would say that you would say that essentially their their policies and kind of worldviews line up with American America's two party system. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. There are differences, right? I would say um, cons- the conservative tradition in uh, mainstream conservative tradition in the, in the UK is um, l- is less socially conservative um, and less economically conservative than republicanism, which looks compared to this country more radically conservative. You know, 
Um, so, I mean, for instance, you know, um, we just think about the very existence of the NHS in this country, right? And so any conservative government, although they have all often have kind of ideas about modernization or privatization or, you know, um, if you will, watering down the kind of um, NHS as a, as a, as a, um, as a purely state run entity, um, they're always going to say it's the most important institution in this country. We're going to take care of it. Do you know what I mean? And that in and of itself is, is quite a strong distinction from a Republican party, which fights as it were to, to keep healthcare private as I, as I would understand it. Do you know what I mean? So there are, there, there are ways that the ideologies are differently placed on the spectrum because of the differences in the country, you know? And obviously religion is kind yeah, of just... Well, again, again, they're much more, um, I'd say they're much less socially conservative in this country also, you know? Right. Um, Whereas they're, they're barely a pro-life movement within, for instance, the <laughs> Conservative Party in the UK, for instance, right? Like it does exist, but it's much smaller. And you, you, they're basically um, a much more liberal party i would say um you know but that obviously their their politics and uh, their their economic politics are much more like liberal i just wanted to make sure i I understood so i interrupted you you were saying because there was a conservative government yeah they were so um so they're imposing the new normal and therefore you know if you if you resisted the new normal you were effectively against this conservative government and what that did to, to the left at large in this country is it 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 made it more hysterical in its response to these policies, <laughs> right? It would see like we want oh no they're they're, they're breaking but they're going to take away the mask mandates, you know, because mask mandates really flittered here, really flickered maybe is a word I mean, and um you know and so there would always be a call from the left and from the Labour Party to be as it were more draconian, um more more uh, you know and 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 so that was that was a dynamic it created with the left. Whereas anybody who was against it didn't have like a political party, they could say, okay, you approximately represent the um, anti-lockdown position. You know, we were simply political outsiders, if you will. We had no, we had no party. And what that caused was, um, what that kind of um, helped create, I think, is it created a very um, heterodox movement which wasn't so politically aligned with any specific ideology. Most everybody I spoke to um, for the article um, would say at some point they don't think left and right have any meaning at all. And what they tended to mean is it was either you were um, pro, pro you, you, you were either anti-authoritarian or pro-authoritarian. Um, <clears throat> and as one person I spoke to put it, you believed in people and their capacity to look after themselves and, and one another. Or you believe the state had to had to inter, intervene all the time and, and legislate all the time, and what you definitely found within the movement is yes, you found a lot of some of the radical conservatives I mentioned, the, the the English libertarian minority who kind of came out of the Brexit movement and and to some extent had been evicted or left the Conservative Party because of COVID, but then you also had a lot of people who, you know, w- had no strong party affiliation. Or were distinctly left wing in their backgrounds. You know, um, I spoke to people with back with 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 a strong background in left wing activism, um, in trade unionism, um, who 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 had always thought of themselves as socialists, and they didn't think of themselves as socialists per se anymore. But that wasn't because they were necessarily repudiating what had come before, or what they had stood for before, or identified with before. But it was more that they um, 
they just felt that the dynamic had changed so much that the terms had to change with it. And, you know, there was um, one person I spoke to, Alan Miller, who was um, basically one of the founders and the main spokesperson for an organization called Together, which was the, the most the most high profile organized anti mandate organization. Actually delivered like two hundred thousand signatures of its Together Declaration, which is like a petition against mandates, effectively to Downing Street in the middle of January, shortly before the um uh the, the, shortly before they started to rescind the um the restrictions entirely. Um, you know, he 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 points to the lineage in, um, in, in, in British history of, of resistance movements. So, you know, he points to the, um, the, 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 you know, original uh, English revolution and the suffragettes and uh, the levelers. And, you know, he sees, all, he sees all of these social movements as out, as of a piece, you know, as of people coming together to resist state power um, for the benefit of people. You know, and so, uh, you know, so it was, it was definitely heterodox and it was definitely less red and blue, black and white than in the States from what I could see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, that was, yeah. Like, because for me, even uh, like actually two of my best friends, like, uh, like, uh, woke up so to speak on the covid stuff like basically immediately um and they were living in chicago where i live and they were living together and so they were locked down together and kind of going crazy and so i like they were telling me about all this stuff but i i don't know it just to me it seemed like they were overreacting or like let's just see how it plays out and you know, I don't know. And then I thought maybe they were just kind of going crazy because they were locked down in their apartment together and stuff. Um, and then, but it, to me, it, it, I eventually started to realize that something wasn't right. But what I attributed it to was that, or like my theory at the time was not that it was this kind of biosecurity globalist, like power grab psyop, but that it was sort of the Democrats trying to get Trump out of office by like making him look like he bungled this crisis and whatever. Um, so I don't, yeah, that was just to me in my kind of trying to make sense of what was happening. Like it's, it felt to me like it had, it it was strongly connected to Trump in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I still kind of feel that even though I think it was more like he was just set up to be like the fall guy kind mm. of to, um, but oh. yeah, just curious about the UK experience in that regard. So, well, one thing, one thing I'd add uh, to that sort of political picture that was interesting is a lot of people I spoke to were, you know, as I say, there isn't a, a, a substantial or meaningful libertarian, like, um, like, uh, popular movement in the uk right like it's super fringe super marginal mm-hmm. and a lot of the people who um you know you've, you've got a very strong state here you know like you've got public broadcasting that dominates you know the news it dominates what people watch and consume you've got an nhs da 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 da, da. the presence of the state here as in the rest of europe is, is is much much stronger than when you're in america where you can i i when i go there i can really feel its absence you know it's really distinct here and there difference and you know with that is a kind of a sense of um, a strong sense of social collective responsibility 
And a lot of people that I spoke to who had become radicalized by, for instance, for lockdowns, did so because they were really, really worried and concerned about the effect of the lockdowns on like uh, poor families, low-income families, like people who were suddenly reduced to living in like a, 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 a one-bedroom social housing with three kids. Or, do you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, who would be most impacted by this kind of thing. And also the, the economic consequences and what that would mean for the NHS going forward. You know, because a lot of the, the, the economy here is, is is seen as the thing, and it is the thing that that drives and funds um, the public services. You know, which are which are much stronger and more pointed than in the US. So you had a lot of people who, um, you know, they were they looked at this kind of argument that you know if this was uh, lockdowns, etc., and and COVID authoritarianism was all about saving lives and helping people, and they said, well, you're gonna you're going to kill people, you know, uh, in the short term and the long term, through poverty, through a deterioration of of of, of the health service, um, through recession, um, through lockdowns themselves. You know, a lot of a lot of um, like vulnerable children were killed during lockdowns. You know, by by abusive families. They didn't have access. Social. They, they didn't access the social services. They weren't going to school. You know, there was a sense that the, these basically isolated, really really vulnerable people and impacted them most of all and this was um this was a you know a, a driving realization for a lot of people i spoke to and and and, and remain so today you know they're genuinely concerned about the human costs of these of this legislation and the the impact on the state's ability to look after people and that again is not is probably not a um i wouldn't think of that as an outlook which is uh probably translatable to the american political scene yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, we we heard those arguments, I would say. I mean, that was sort of in the dissident discourse, I guess. Um, but yeah, like, obviously, the American conservatives weren't, at least at the beginning, super interested in making those talking points. Um, and the liberals were just gobbled up all the propaganda about, you know, how we needed to close the schools and that whatever all this stuff keep immunocompromised people it was like it was really just like there was critical thinking just went out the window i mean myself included not that i was like hysterical about um you know any of it like i wasn't really afraid i didn't i understood that covid wasn't really that serious but like i don't know i just went along you know you just you just go along well everyone else is doing it this is what is sure. what the TV is yeah. telling me to do. So, you also didn't have. I mean, I think that for people who had school age kids, it was like, yeah, a, a much more, a much more like slam. Those are the people I think that were kind of first radicalized in the U.S. Like I remember following. Um, I think she was angry Brooklyn mom or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now she's NYC expat mom, uh-huh. but. Um, she was one of the first accounts I came across that were like, uh, which was interesting to see that these like nice kind of like white lady parents who like are kind of like upper middle class were kind of like some of the first people I at least saw publicly kind of like, you know, breaking with the mold. And I think it's because they were just like my, 
they were like, what the fuck? Like my kids don't have anywhere to go anymore. And then of course people did the whole like, oh, they're Karens. They did the whole like, you know, <laughs> obviously they were like kind of attacked ruthlessly um, and, you know, told that, oh, you you just want, you just want babysitting. You just want childcare. But well, the FBI kind of- called them, had labeled them domestic terrorists. Yeah, but it was kind of admirable <laughs> to see them not, I mean, over time, obviously, like, I was on a very different side of this at one point, I, and I, I fully have acknowledged that on the podcast a lot, but it was it, it was nice as I came around and really started to break with kind of the, the overall narrative that they kind of really got vindicated, because I think the one thing that uh, a lot of people agree on is the school closures were like unequivocally bad it didn't work i think that was crucial to the american resistance definitely like it was just obvious to anyone with school-age kids that the remote school did not work right it wasn't working it didn't do anything um lots of kids i mean i worked in a school at the time and lots of kids literally disappeared like i'm not even kidding yeah yeah there you go in the sense of like no one i mean i'm sure that they're i'm not i'm not saying that they are dead somewhere in a ditch but like the system lost track of them um, they don't, you know, they didn't, there weren't actual like measures in place to transfer kids the way that, um, were literally su- supposed to be happening, you know? Um, so, cause that's the whole point, right. Of having a public school system is uh, allegedly is that, you know, one thing, and it's, it was weird that leftists, and again, I, 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 I kind of condemn myself in the same group, like, that, that to me, that's like one of the most leftist positions you, you you should have is that like every kid in America for six or seven hours a day should have like a clean, warm place to go where they they have access to food and there's like you know <laughs> benevolent adults who if they're not good at teaching them, they're at least gonna keep them alive and happy. You know, and that was, uh, to me, that was supposed to be one of the most, and leftists just totally abandoned that. And I think that they really set in motion kind of the end of universal public school. I don't think they realized that at the time, but I think that's what they started, you know? Yeah, same here. Um, Some of the women, I I spoke to some uh, middle, white middle-class moms who are, you know, just involved in their communities and, you know, already uh, people who are, you know, were on the school, their local school board, worked in the local for local charities. You know, volunteered, taking underprivileged kids out to, the, you know, to go climbing and stuff. And 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 we're, we're we're very sensitive to how this would impact people. And of course, yeah, it was it was repackaged and rebranded as the sort of epitome of callousness, which is a obviously a, a deep irony because, you know, the, the, the way COVID was sold to us all was about being scared individually about being terrified of this thing you know and that's obviously i think what motivates um most if not all covidians what was also i think so disingenuous about the the teardown of the, these mostly women in particular was that you know they were kind of they were kind of billed as like coming from like an elitist position but the, but the actual elites it turns out um weren't doing any of the lockdown shit the entire time anyway. (laughs) The actual really, really rich people like the Boris Johnson's of the world uh, weren't, weren't doing any of the lockdowns and didn't give a shit about any of that the entire time. And we're continuing to gather 
Um, and then it's like these, like, you know, just kind of like middle-class moms were kind of like, oh, you're so privileged, blah, blah, blah. But really they're just like pretty average people and they were sort of torn down in that way. And then it turns out at the end of the game, the elites weren't doing any of the shit they were telling us to do the entire time, you know? Absolutely. And you probably saw there was a, a sort of series of summer downing street soirees through the lockdown. Yeah, like raging parties, right? Like Raging yeah, parties. It, yeah, it, it was, it, they were doing that, but it was like that here too. Like Obama, the news was like slavishly like, uh, you know, uh, or maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe you should edit that because I'm not talking about <laughs> Obama. But the news was like all over, um, you know, Obama's birthday being like totally fine. His like Martha, <laughs> yeah. like giant Martha's Vineyard party. And yeah. I'm like, why? Why are you spending so much new, so many news hours defending, um, this? And I, I, I was already at that point like totally like uh, against the Covidian stuff, but I was like. It's true. If he believes what he's saying, he shouldn't have this party. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know? Bill Gates' daughter had a wedding, uh, you know, during the unmasked wedding or whatever, during the mask mandates and all kinds of and Gavin Newsom, the French laundry thing on and I mean, there was infinite instances. What was her name in San Francisco? The mayor. She was partying. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, well, my drink, she wasn't wearing a mask at this bar. And she was like, well, my drink was on the table. Oh, yeah, it was, it was within like arm's reach. So <laughs> London breed. Yeah, yeah. She was yeah. at that like bar. Yeah. So like the, the actual leads, the people with actual political power and money weren't, weren't ever doing the lockdowns really. So, so uh, guys, I, I sense at the top of the conversation, you are, you may be uh, inching towards discussing BLM in the UK. You know, oh. a lot yeah. of American readers of the article so far, pre-readers, if you will, have always said, I didn't realize it was such a big thing over there. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I didn't, but I, I did kind of understand that Britain was one of the few, because I've looked at statistics before, and I think Britain has the biggest black population of any European country. I think that's true, right? Yeah, very, very, yeah, very uh, ethnically diverse country. Yeah. yeah, and I know that, yeah. and I know that, like a lot of European country, like Ireland, for instance, like isn't ethnically diverse at all. Like if you look at statistics, it's like ninety eight percent like Irish. So I, I knew that the UK had a more a population that looked a little bit more like the US's. And I've read, obviously, I love like you know, I I love Zadie Smith and like some sure. like Black British authors. So I had some awareness of. Anyway, yeah, I am. I want to hear what you have to say. I, it is interesting because now no one brings up BLM anymore because <laughs> in the U.S. it's been kind of like completely. The actual organization has been completely oh, delegitimized. Yeah. Like, turns out Patricia Kohler's was buying like you know four houses in L.A. and stuff like that. So there was kind of a and Sean, you know Sean King, who I secretly know. I know that he's actually white because I know someone who knows his, <laughs> I know, I know someone who knows his family. Um, that's, that's kind of the w worst hidden secret um, in the, on the planet. But anyway. Yeah. Tell us about BLM. I, I feel like BLM has been as an organization has been kind of like uh deep, like it's no longer considered valid in the U S but tell us about the UK's. Well, yeah. So, so a good a good illustration would be, you know, we recently had a World Cup. I don't know if you guys tuned in at all, but uh, and um, we England played the US terrible game, dismal <laughs> game, 
But um, we started the game and uh, we basically, our national team has been taking the knee against racial injustice ever since the uh, the first BLM uh, explosion, if you will, wow. ever since the George Floyd thing, I should say, because that was obviously a bit separate. BLM preceded it quite a lot. But, um, and um, they've been, they've been taking the knee. So we had in the middle of, um, in the middle of the lockdowns, the football, they, they started the football up here again, the soccer up here again and they were these guys were playing in empty stadiums which was in itself like the most dismal antithetical spiritual spectacle to actual football right um it was you know it's it's so much about the crowd and the atmosphere it was, these these games were horrible to watch and then suddenly they all started across the uh the premier league which is like our nfl right they all start starting the game by taking the knee <clears throat> And this is, I just to again be that person for our listeners. This is soccer in America. This is soccer, yeah. I can't, I can't call it soccer consistently. You can call it, you can call it football. It's Thank fine. You, yeah, we'll just I put a be... pin in that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and uh, so these, these these young men would would play in an empty stadium, and then they would start the game all on their knee, which obviously was um, ostensibly as a as a as a tribute to the taking the knee Floyd adjacent thing that was happening in the states. Um, but um, was uh, also like a like such a a vision of subjugation. Do you know what I mean? Like if you if you take the knee, what are you doing? You're you're you know you're subjugating yourself in some way. So it was almost like we're allowed to watch these guys yeah. play football. Thrones, bend, take bend the knee. That's what they always said. When exactly. The knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and so and then the the, the national team. They, they've you know England's very politically correct. And um, it's now been, it was dropped by the Premier League, the NFL here, right, quite recently. But the national team has kind of kept doing it. And actually, we when we played the US, I, I, I knew we were going to do it because we start every game in this way. It's kind of embarrassing and, and <laughs> ridiculous. But I thought, I thought surely, surely the US national team is going to be like, fair enough. <laughs> you know, we're going to take the knee with you since it all bloody started here. And it's effectively a effectively still a tribute to u.s race issues but yeah. no they bloody they have stood there to make us look even more ridiculous and embarrassing it was it was it was the worst moment oh, and, wow. then we, and then we drew the fucking game so that was that was a, that was a bad moment as a, as a as a football fan but um but in general like this this thing happened in the states and there were there were protests across the uk and a lot like my mother lives in in wales um, up a mountainside in the middle of nowhere where there's probably not five black people in a million Welsh people. And she she found a BLM um, adjacent uh, demonstration to go to. Um, I had a, a friend of mine who uh, like super like boho lib um, kind of friendship group that she's a part of. And her friend uh, was an heiress. She gave a million pounds to BLM UK. Oh, at that God. moment, I could only assume was a Facebook page. I'm sure they fucking registered as a proper charity and shit pretty damn quickly once they got the phone call. But a million quid was coming their way. But you know, it wow. was it, it was it was a moral mania here. And you know, and yes, I guess you know there are going to be issues around inequality and racial justice in. Wait, can no, I ask? A, of course. Can I ask a quick clarifying question? Sorry, of before no, you. Keep of course. Going. Please do. Does I mean it's interesting to me? Like, does the UK even? Because like you know, it is an actual like factual part of US history that 
people like my parents' age, for instance, who were born in the South, did grow up with, not. I mean, they were pretty young, like they were children, but, you know, they actually grew up in a legally segregated culture where the police were a big part of enforcing that. Like, is there... Did the did 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 British black people have the same relationship with the police like that kind of history? Well, that, so you know, um, I like that's important to the U.S. I do think that that's an actual. I mean, like I'm, you know, I I, I try to call it how I see it. That yeah, is a sure. real. That is a real thing that happened, and it was not that long ago, really. So you know, I think that that is a reason that you know, I think it's it's reached kind of mania levels, but I do understand like black communities actually disenfranchised black communities. Cause like I said, a lot of these activists, I've said this before on the pod aren't even in actual dis- disenfranchised communities. <laughs> They're yeah, sure, sure, really sure. well-educated middle-class people, but yeah, I understand why in actually, you know, poor black neighborhoods, there would be distrust of the police. And I guess I just wonder if that dynamic is even. Yeah. It's, in- it's an interesting contrast, right? So, I mean, so we didn't have like a huge population of of native imported slaves right an abolition happened here like decades before it happened in the usa as well and um what happened was in the in, in the 60s you had what they call the windrush which is large amounts of immig- uh, like uh, multiracial immigration into the uk from usually different parts of the empire you, um, frequently, I think, I'm not really an expert in this area at all, but um, frequently to cover some of the um, like employment gaps left by like World War II. Do you know what I mean? Like working in the NHS and such like, um, maybe part of a larger political um, kind of what we would now think of as a globalist um, agenda as well. Certainly it developed into it that. From like India, the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when that happened, you had racial division you had racial prejudice etc but um i don't think it, there was there i i don't think there was ever any legal segregation um there was um yes there were people who wanted um this mass immigration to stop enoch powell's a very famous british conservative politician who had who, who tried to kind of create a popular movement to cease this um this kind of social trend but generally um the British have been much better at absorbing other ethnicities into the overall tribe. Like, and I'd say prior to um, 2021 in particular, this was a far, far, far more um, ethnically harmonious society. It's not to say that there's not inevitable inequalities and some difficulties deriving from the uh, immigrant populations themselves, some from prejudice and and uh, or economic inequality and what have you but there it has been a harmoniousness here that you don't see not 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 only in the US but in France right in France where they seem to you know take in large large kind of uh, ethnically diverse populations and those populations become much more ghettoized um much more hostile to the to the national culture there's much more tension more rioting the UK has a, I, I think it's got a genuinely kind of, um, I think it's a genuinely egalitarian national character. And, um, and I See, think, I guess, sorry to interrupt you again. I, that's one thing I find, I, I, I want to hear how, how it developed there, because that's one thing even smart people on the right 
I even heard Ann Coulter talk about this on Red Scare a couple weeks ago. Like, you know, she was saying like there there is a group of people in the U.S. who are descended from people who were brought forcibly to the U.S. Sure. and uh, they, you know, and their ancestors were enslaved, and people who were as close to some of them as like their parents and grandparents lived in a a legally segregated society. And she's like, that's real. Like that did happen. Her beef was like that. So many other groups try to glom onto that very specific subset. But that to me was like what, um, what, uh, what's so weird about BLM kind of going international is like, I'm like, I don't know if there's another country that has, that very specific, and that's something the U.S. has just never really dealt with, right? Like how, like how to like define that group and what it means and blah blah blah, right? Like that's just like kind of an original sin sort of thing. But I don't, I don't understand how it translates to other countries. Well, at all. I, th- I think a main reason for it, and the main reason there was a receptivity to the moral hysteria of imported BLM uh, anti-racism, is because paradoxically racism in this country has for decades now been considered like a primary social evil and even a social faux pas you know there's there's you know you you know there's you i would almost never hear something explicitly racist in my life outside of when i was maybe five or something you know and i can remember some kid talking about the local indian shop in a disparaging way and partly that's because it's just so multi-ethnic and people um have traditionally i feel like um um what's the word when you are you're a mig- you're a migrant and you um you become part of the society i forget assimilated assimilated thank you people have assimilated so readily and by and large harmoniously and with it there's been like this you know but but then i think there's the, there's the kind of um the leftist need for moral hysteria for moral self-flagellation for a mm-hmm. moral pose you know and it it, it was it, it's been there quite heavily in the atmosphere and i think this opportunity to again without you know you talk about um your friends wanting to emulate like the civil rights movement in their actions you know even if you didn't have a, a meaningful you didn't have the need for one a meaningful civil rights movement here or anything on the same scale at least in the 20th century in the uk it just wasn't comparable there was still a sense of you know uh, you know and partly it's because maybe the uk is so influenced by us culture you know, and would watch things about the civil rights movement and documentaries. You know, it would almost feel like part of our history as, you know, the Anglo, that kind of weird fusion that Anglo-American kind of civilizations have, where there was that, that, that need for that same moral feeling and moral elation without having that concrete historical precedent. And I think that's what was picked up on. That's why you have my mother going to a Welsh, a Welsh uh, <laughs> anti-racist uh, uh, protest in in the middle of lockdowns, uh, with presumably no black people there at all, and um, and you know, and it actually, you know, just to, to bring it all back round was, um, it, you know, I I literally spoke to people who mentioned it in the article, who became COVID skeptics or dissidents because of BLM, because of the same thing, because the media did the same thing here. There weren't there weren't uh, huge riots. There were like mildly destructive, um, like they would. Uh, there was some spray painting of some statues of Churchill and stuff, you know, in town. You know, not not necessarily uh, good things, but um, you know, not not necessarily anything to cry about. Some um, there was a statue of an old slave trader in Bristol, and Bristol is a city in the UK with an actual strong 
um, slaver past, but it's going back a bit, a lot longer than um, than the US, you know. And um, and there was you know some old dignitary, a statue of some old dignitary who was apparently a slaver, and they 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 tossed him in the river there, you know. And some people would get upset about this because it was destruction of the past and what like and whatnot. But in general, there was you know something like that. It was people shrugged. But then there was the the pervasive anti-racist ideology did sink in culturally very very deeply, and we certainly found you know in London that there was a degree of uh, racial animus between people of different uh, colors and such like in this city that we'd never noticed before. You know, people it's were- so interesting. It's almost like they constructed this like, cause like in the U S now being a victim is sort of a kind of uh, what do you call it? It has like currency, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, same that, yeah. that was kind of like Ann Coulter's critique. She was like, I do think there's this group, this very specific group that like the U S has never really acknowledged in a prop and like an appropriate way that does need to, that does need some level of like, uh, care or whatever. But like now it's like, they're trying to expand that to include like, you know, non-binary, uh, nuclear officials or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like people who don't have that beef, but, um, there is something going on about like broadly. And it's interesting to hear that it's there too, about having access to a victim narrative, giving you kind of a social, social capital. I mean, I understand it to some degree. Like it gives your, it gives your life drama, you know, like it gives, it gives you distinction. You know, I think there's, you know, there is something to celebrate in, you know, being successful or, or, or having some struggle in your life that you overcome. Like that, you know, that's a positive thing, but it, it obviously has, uh, has has gone a little bit out of control. But I was just going to finish the point, which was that, like, I I, I just I, I went off it myself, which is that um, here these protests were, as in the U.S., branded as non-spreader events, as good things, as you know, they were they were they were blessed and encouraged, and um, and a lot of people said, well, hang on, you know, it's exactly exactly the same phenomenon they weren't they weren't horrible relentless destructive riots but they were mass events you know with tens of maybe hundreds of thousands of people participating um and they uh and they were you know the media said no no this is okay this is this is nothing to worry about we'll get back to the deadly plague momentarily you know and uh, and that did that did wake a lot of people up to use the term i didn't want to use once again you know yeah yeah was what a time and i i am hopeful that um maybe 2023 will bring a shift um well i'm seeing a shift already in the sense of like i think that people the covidian dialogue people viewing um like, you know, the, the hardcore COVID people in sort of this religious context. And there's also this black author, oh, I forget his, I, I want to remember his name right now, um, who is wrote this book that I actually really want to read. Um, his name is, his. the book is called Woke, Woke Racism, How a New Religion Has Betrayed America. And his name is John McCorder. He's a smart guy. Yeah, he's, 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 yeah he's I like really... He's a lib, but he's kind of, he's, he's, he's quite smart. Yeah, I listened to him on a podcast and I was like, that's interesting. Anyway, it was just, he was pointing out how this whole, like how a lot of the 
anti-racist stuff has now become um, kind of a religion in and of itself. And it's like kind of this very inward looking, like it's not really about helping anyone. It's like correcting your, (laughs) your thoughts almost, you know what I mean? And it's like this very self-flagellating thing. And now I'm seeing more and more people kind of realizing that, uh, some of these beliefs are kind of like religious in nature about the about the race stuff and about COVID. You know what I mean? Like, if you believe anything too wholeheartedly, and it, it loses its any sort of like bearings, and I'm going to lose my train of thought, but it loses any sort of bearing and anything concrete. It's kind of become religious, if that makes sense. It's so, kind of a state sponsored like religion substitute. That mm. <laughs> mm. I think um, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. And I mean, we'll see what happens in America with the, you know, the election coming up, like, Oh God, (laughs) (laughs) that's going to really, you know, that's going to define where a lot of this stuff goes, I think, you know? (laughs) Um, so yeah, I thought maybe we can, we can, um, close the show with some of our predictions for 2023. But before that, I just had a couple of, um, just questions for for kb and see what what you've got to say this is kind of things that i'm always just interested in and asking people but um so you were kind of you know for lack of a better word like red pilled on the whole covid thing pretty much from the beginning it sounds like um so i'm just wondering like are you like at this point, like kind of out at all amongst your friends or your um, <laughs> work or anything like that, or still on the down low? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, so uh, I, you know, I, it's interesting, isn't it? I could be, uh, I could have these. It's interesting because, as I say, if since two thousand and five, I've effectively had this kind of uh, fairly consistent worldview. You know, from the two thousands and the two thousand and tens, you could really have these perspectives on things and it was it seems you i can look back on it and see what a relatively undivisive time it was Mm -hmm. by the fact that they were just sort of like you know tolerated as 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 a friend's eccentric worldview you know Uh like you could have a you could have a chat about it someone might roll their eyes or laugh or engage with you you know but it was you know nobody was divided by it entering the 2020s you know um, everything's a lot more uh, a lot more fraught and and destructive. I mean, um, uh, my my my, I, I I couldn't I couldn't bear the idea of like having a friendship where I can't bear the idea of having a friendship where you can't speak your mind. You know, mm-hmm. like, and I don't mind differences of opinion at all. And I think like friends that I have retained from uh, from pre COVID are who. Are those not who see things the same as me, but who can have a really uh, vigorous discussion about it, can make good points, and can handle points being made in 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 turn. Um, the ones I've uh, barely seen for a year or two are the ones who who just look a bit panicked at the prospect mm-hmm. of a of a challenging worldview, and you know that became particularly pertinent during the mandates when I was like. Uh, my family is going to, you know, feasibly lose its ability to feed itself because of this mm-hmm. stupid um, political movement. And so that, that's the kind of picture of a friend, friendship-wise and uh, work-wise. you got to, uh, you know, I don't mind if I'm being paid 
keeping my opinions to myself, uh, you know. But if it's on my own time, I uh, I gotta I gotta have a I gotta be have the capacity to have a real conversation at least, you know. Did you get vaccinated? No. Ah, hell to the no, you might say. I think you're our first pure blood guest. No shit. How uh, have you managed that? I know because everyone else we know at least got one. I think. I think. <laughs> so there we go. One is, one is uh, one is the dissident vaccination, isn't it? Like yeah, uh, one for the team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like a lot of our back. I mean, our kind of background or perspective is like coming from people who were more like i don't know left wing or whatever you know like sure yeah more susceptible to having to change in real time kind of thing you know yeah exactly what about and you i actually actually would have lost my job had i not um, yeah i I sympathize you know um i didn't i didn't know what i would do if it came down to that i i yeah it it did it i mean the new york city public school system was one of the first uh actual uh mandates in the u.s where it was like yeah and i I know people who lost their jobs it happens yeah 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 (laughs) And we lost a, a a family member last year to the to the boosters, you know, oh, and um, we're 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 re- relieved at least, you know. But we had held out when you see see the the, the damage it did, and I, I think um I you know I totally understand having your your back to the wall and and having to to make a tough call at that in that moment as as you had right, but um I you know. I was always going to have to have my back to the absolute wall before mm-hmm. I made that call. I was, and you know, and it, it, I think it was, it was very interesting to see one's resolve in oneself, you know, to experience it. Cause there was a huge amount of psychological, social and actual pressure being exerted. Particularly oh, I'm, I'm so, I'm so proud of people. I know. I mean, I only know a few, but I know one person personally who literally became homeless uh, wow. because she because she refused the Amazing. vaccine yeah. she lost the job and was kicked out of her like shared housing situation because of uh you know um and she persevered through it you know she's she still refused yeah, good for her. that's amazing yeah so yeah. kb how did you know i mean obviously you were skeptical of the whole the whole op but like what was it about the vaccine that you just knew that it was bad news um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I remember getting, I, I used to have a friend who uh, is an Oxford Don <laughs> and, uh, um, and he, we would, we just had like a, a five year long, 20 mile long end to end WhatsApp argument about everything under the sun, <laughs> just a, just a consuming bitter argument about everything you could possibly argue about. And on, on, on like the week or so when it was really like, okay, the vaccine is ready. He just texted me and was like, "I suppose you're one of these anti-vaxxers or something." And he 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 always seemed to get his um propagandistic talking points hot off the press. This guy, you know, he get him. I don't know in in like academic circles where they were uncorked first of all, and uh, and I just felt like, oh yeah, this I'm getting here. It is the propaganda is pre-cooked, you know, mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 push in this direction. I, I just very very sort of uh, sensitive to what propaganda looks like, to what social engineering looks like after all these years of crankhood, mm-hmm. and um, and you couldn't really miss it, you know. And that's the thing, isn't it? If they just said, "Oh, we've got this vaccine, there are some unknowns and some risks, but we think it could help with the elderly and stuff," you know, and there was a discussion about it, 
you know, where mm-hmm. pe- opposing point of views were considered openly. It's where you have, and anything, it's where you have a legitimate critique of something or opposing point of view of as to what's happening, and that's not allowed to be a part of the discourse. You know, you can always, I think, as a rule of thumb, assume that it's not allowed to be a part of the discourse because it's too dangerous to what they want to achieve. And that was very much the case with the Vax. That and a good, um, you know, 15 plus years of uh, skepticism in general, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, it's, it's so interesting to me. Um, I, yeah, I'm just glad that I was able to see the light uh, before my kids were eligible for the There vaccine. you go. Yeah, so, thank God. Uh, yeah. Um, but that was, I mean, that was the really, I mean, I remember that was the, the most horrifying prospect of of, of uh, uh, child mandate. I mean, where mm-hmm. would that have left you as a parent? It was absolutely horrible, terrifying to consider that possibility. Really, really shook, it still shook us up. It still doesn't even feel 100% off the table, you know? No, like, absolutely, I, yeah. I mean, here here it is presently, thankfully, but, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a, as a, as a mandate is, is way off the table, but... I, I, you know, presently is uh, where I'd put the emphasis. You know. Yeah, but I mean, I yeah. Anyway, well, we don't we don't have to go down a whole rabbit hole. But there was also a lot of I know a lot of kids who got vaccinated sadly because, um, and I was in sort I, of I like, do too, like, yeah, and I, I work in a, a kind of like hippie part of the city now, like a rich hippie part of the city now downtown. Um, so there are parents who did who didn't get vaccinated because those are sort of historically the the people who don't who are against vaccines but there's a lot of there was a lot of social pressure you know like your kid can't go to x birthday party yeah, your kid, yeah. your kid can't go to you know can't come out to the hamptons with us this weekend your kid you know like so there was a lot of a lot of kids like begging their parents to let them do it even when their parents mm-hmm. were against it um and i think that's that could continue to be a thing sadly yeah yeah feasibly um another somewhat related question uh, for KB and actually curious about Q as well, but um, uh, have you ever successfully red pilled someone else, like personally? Good question. <laughs> if I don't go first, Q. Think about it. Um, I have gotten on COVID or anything. I, I mean, anything. I I mean, I guess probably COVID, just because that's like the big thing but um yeah i have a close friend who i used to have a podcast with who um we kind of share a lot of the similar similarities in our lives and i've definitely like gotten him onto the side of like uh you know covid like was largely um kind of like a you know propaganda hoax type thing and um he acknowledged to me fairly recently that uh you know, he felt like it had really latched on to his like OCD and he looking back, it had, you know, it had really latched into this like kind of mentally unwell part of him, which I have OCD too. So we talk about that a lot. So he's someone that I I do think I kind of red pilled on COVID and I have gotten friends to, you know, um, I don't know. Yeah. I have friends who are like kind of, yeah, I guess I'll use that example. I also have friends who uh, come from different perspectives, like KB lives in Europe. Like I have a friend who's French and 
she's always like a little bit like bewildered by um american uh like sexual politics because <laughs> you know the french are famously um perverts um so i i'm saying that to be funny but yeah so she's she's someone that i go to a lot when we talk about like x y and z like sex scandal and she's like i just i don't understand it like it's weird this wouldn't be a thing in france like you know it's a man is barely a thing in france i mean i know (laughs) she was like if a man asks a woman out and the woman says no like you know that's the that, and, and the, he just goes away like that's the end of it that's not a big deal like i don't know so that's so why i have another friend who's kind of like that about that specific topic so I, I talk to her so i guess those are two examples i'll give is people who have kind of outside perspectives anyway and then people and then i i, I have had at least one person who really came to the other side on covid all right Gladly, I can say yes, because having outed myself as a, uh, a as, as a many decades of crankhood, it'd be sad, wouldn't it, if I, I could <laughs> point to a single soul? But um, I'll give two two examples. Um, the first is a, a a guy I sat next to at a previous job who was a graphic designer, and who uh, who who I moon I moon pilled him. He'd never he'd never <laughs> thought about it, but he was. Well- Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I just want to say one thing, KV. I'm just sorry. I'm, I interrupted you so many times. Right. And I'm so, but I, I did want to tell A that I did have a friend call me um, after the Moon Cell episode and a friend that shocked me and said, you know, you did it. The episode, I'm totally on board with the moon landing being fake. So wow, nice. I just wanted to say that we we had at least <laughs> one, one, one shocking friend out of nowhere called me and was like, I listened to it and I believe it now. Uh, so anyway, KB, I have interrupted you. Well, so yeah, much. You've, no, not at all. No, and you've, you've reminded me actually, well, <laughs> recently I did, I had nothing to do with it, but there's a, a friend of ours who's a, who's a distinguished physicist. <laughs> like a really a harvard educated physicist and uh she you know jabbed herself pregnant you know she did all kinds of silly things she's a she's a she's a super um normie right and uh old friend of my wife's and my wife suddenly says oh did you know uh so and so doesn't believe in the moon landings and I was like, what the fuck? And none of do with me. And I had to text her. I was like, I didn't know you were a moon trooper. And, uh, and, and apparently she went to, the, the reason is really funny. She, she visited NASA when she was studying in the States. Oh my God. And, uh, and she said that the scientists were all so stupid that she couldn't, but she could there, but she couldn't, she couldn't take them seriously as having achieved this thing. And she, uh, and she, and she, she did it all by herself, which I, it was so anomalous so anomalous in the overall picture of her worldview um and sadly i had i can take no credit um but this 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 graphic designer however um smaller fish right um <laughs> i uh i i can perhaps um well i can because uh, he hadn't really thought about it before and i was just i just i think it was around the time that the uh, elon musk was sending his uh his phony car to space and i was like <laughs> oh have a look at this and because he's a graphic designer he's like he's italian he's like it's a photoshop it's a Photoshop. <laughs> I mean, everything we looked at, really, it's Photoshop. You know, he could just see that this was just bad graphic design across the entire thing. So he was totally moonpilled. And the other example I'll give uh, is, uh, is, is thank God, but uh, is, is my missus, um, but who, who, who wasn't like an orthodox normie. But um, if you, it, I, in fact, she was, a, she was a very, very early turf, which is 
you know, would gradually be absorbed. Ah. Gradually be, and I'm, I'm talking uh, 2012 here, guys. You know, oh, wow. Been, she's been on that one for, for a minute. And, um, and, uh, and, and so we would, so she had a uh, turfdom then, and I was hugely instantly sympathetic to that perspective. And I, uh, and, and I was interested in the, uh, 20, uh, early 2010s in particular, uh, through the 2010s, in fact, in, in the, um, in, in, in psyops as we call them, you know, hoaxes, mm-hmm. uh, to put it another way without, without getting ourselves into too much trouble. And, um, <laughs> And she would find these things, um, you know, kind of abhorrent, this kind of speculation kind of a little bit abhorrent, you know, a little bit upsetting. And so we had a little bit of friction there. But then by the time, well, the, the, through COVID, she was just almost instantly like, what the fuck is this shit? It's, <laughs> it's that so ill with her. And so all the waters kind of ran together. And uh, mm-hmm. at this point, she is. Uh, we, we we probably have a, a pretty much uh, synonymous worldview, which is, let me say, a good thing in a marriage. You know, yeah. And, uh, a and I, a and I both had to do a little bit of work with our with our respective partners. My partner broke down when the mandates happened. That was his. That was his final. He was like, "That's ridiculous. You should never take someone's job for yeah, that." But for it took a while to but get him. But he's still not full on like COVID was a psyop. Sure, right? sure. No, but he yeah. didn't. He says he's not getting any more boosters, which yeah. I'm. I'm just. I like. I'm thankful that that. I'm thankful that <laughs> he was done. I'm thankful that the the conversation of the fourth booster wasn't even a conversation. It was like we're it's done. We're never doing this again. Yeah, you know that's that's um, a huge victory. Yeah, <laughs> and we and we now are very respectful to his elderly um, mother who did not get vaccinated because she didn't trust it at all. Yeah. yeah. Um. So anyway, those are those are some victories. You know. Yeah, that's what I, I've tried a fair. I mean, it's very difficult um, in my experience. I maybe I'm just bad at it, but um, I think like um, fitness feelings. I think we're all, we all are Twitter mutuals with him. He is, I think, described it as almost like akin to like religious conversion. <laughs> um, sure. sure. And it's very, yeah, so like similar to Q, like my only real person who I've successfully been able to is, is my wife. Um, and that was a process, man. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God you I did was, it. Right you, know, right. you, yeah. you, you did it though. Like I was, I was with you guys when you, you guys both got COVID and she was still pregnant and she was very chill about it. It was not a. Yeah. Yeah. It was not so, an emergency situation. <laughs> yeah. No, like she's she's awesome and um and to her credit she is very like she's one of those like data people where like Mm. so it was like that was the route with her was like i just had to show her okay masks don't work Mm. you know the vaccine isn't effective like go kind of go through it like that and and that worked but i I don't think that would work and 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 having the closeness like you know somebody that you live with can kind of be this like ongoing dialogue where if it's somebody random or like a friend or something you just have a little window where maybe you can like open a conversation and in my experience it it usually doesn't go well (laughs) Mm. yeah well adult adult friendships are hard too because you don't spend 
that much time with them most of the time. Every, every once in a while, there's a friend you do, but... You can't do any intensive doctrination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're not at college where you're with someone every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, do you have any more questions for KBA? Oh, no, that was pretty much it. I'm just always curious. I mean, that's what uh, my my foolish kind of like mission is to is to red pill the masses. So red I pill just the always, world, eh? Yeah, just try to, to pick up any tips or tricks that anyone might have. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, I think maybe we can all... One thing I'll do is, I'll, listening to KB, I'm inspired to make more of an effort um, in my uh, friendships to bring stuff up. So Yeah, the, I think JFK is a good entry point um, mm. because that like if because the evidence is just so clear at this point and they're and it's so it's kind of in the past they're not even like trying to really hide it anymore um and then and then once you accept that this sort of like shady secret government would kill like a sitting president i feel like that kind of opens your mind to like a lot more possibilities <laughs> I also think the left used to, the people that we associate with who are mostly on the left, like used to really kind of not trust the government. And I think that if you remind them of that time, mm -hmm. like I made a joke on Twitter the other day, which was like sort of true. I was like, there was a brief, brief um, period where in my early twenties where I almost became a eco terrorist. It's like, just remind people of their, uh, their past, you know? Yeah. Um, all right, we can we can start wrapping it up. Oh, one last thing too is just I think that um being trying to just be like low key and funny about it is the best approach. Like not being like, oh well, did you know like this happened and blah blah blah. You know, like just kind of like make a joke about it that makes people like think about yeah, like sure. oh that yeah, is kind of yeah, yeah. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. All right, do we want to go ahead and uh, end here? Let's do it. Um, all right. Well, thanks, KB, for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah. And just wanted to shout out for KB. He's got this article coming out. It's on Off Guardian, correct? That's right. Yeah. The Glorious Counter Revolution How the British Beat the New Normal, something like that. Something and like that. Yeah, it should be out by the time this comes out, of any luck. If it's not, it's this a is great sound ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll go out somewhere, you know. And, um, yeah, so if you go to the, but the previous two installments are already on the Off Guardian. So if you search for KB Goldtooth, you should find those easily enough. Cool. And also just wanted to shout out uh, your podcast. It's awesome. It's called uh, Ball Earth Propaganda. Yeah. Great name. And uh, with co hosts Billy and Flipper, both uh, very, very solid people as well. So um, yeah, we'll have to get you guys on the, on the show this year. New Year's resolution. Sounds definitely good. yeah let us know all right bye, everybody. Well, thanks so much for coming on yeah and yes, uh, thanks so much for having me guys being a pleasure happy new year happy, happy new, year. new year take care fellas <laughs>